0: Hey folks, a quick note before we start the show. This episode is a Carpenter Shopper reissue from last October. It's actually one of my absolute favorite episodes because it marks the very first time Jake ever saw John Carpenter's original horror masterpiece. And with David Gordon Green's direct sequel out this week, I thought it was the perfect time to revisit it. So enjoy. Welcome to another episode of The Carpenter Shop, a limited edition podcast presented by War Starts at Midnight. I'm Chris Gallagher.
1: And I'm Jacob Graves. Once a month, we take a deep dive into director John Carpenter's colossal canon.
0: Sometimes we discuss a film we already know and love.
1: And other times we discover a gem for the very first time.
0: This week, we're killing two birds with one stone, as we discuss a horror classic that I absolutely adore...
1: And that I just suffered first time yesterday.
0: Jake finally pays penance for his cinematic sins, and we review the movie that put John Carpenter's name on the map his 1978 classic, Halloween. Michael?
1: spent eight years trying to reach him, and then another seven trying to keep him locked up because I realized that what was living behind that boy's eyes was purely and simply
0: evil. <laughs> On the last episode of The Carpenter Shop, I ridiculously declared that John Carpenter's debut feature, Dark Star, was a film that needed no formal introduction. That statement was clearly preposterous, and I regret the error. The film we're discussing today, however, really does need no formal introduction. Halloween belongs to the rare breed of pictures that have permeated so deep into the popular culture that they feel ubiquitous, even to those who haven't actually experienced them. It's right up there with the likes of Star Wars, Jaws, and The Godfather in this regard. Movies that audiences can identify by a single frame of the picture or note of the score. Halloween's influence was so strong in the late 70s that it spawned an entire subgenre of horror films that dominated the 1980s. Ironically, those big bloody slasher pictures seemed to overlook the nuance that gave Carpenter's classic its true power. Instead of shoveling out loads of gratuitous sex and ultraviolence, the master of horror and his co-screenwriter Deborah Hill create a keenly unsettling experience through narrative restraint. And with that, the horror generally lies in what the viewer is thinking, not what they're seeing. Jake, as a newcomer to this certified carpenter classic, and yeah, I'll go ahead and call it here. It's a carpenter classic. I'm curious what your experience was like. What were you expecting? What did you get? And how did the film's Halloween influenced influence your perception of the film?
1: That's a lot of big questions. I, <laughs> I can go ahead and call it now that it's a certified
0: carpenter classic.
1: Okay. Good. Um,
0: we're, we're, we're not going to fight too much then
1: no 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 it 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 was it was really great and i really enjoyed it um but i i've seen everything that it not everything i've seen a lot of things that were influenced by this picture so once you've seen everything around it you can kind of guess what's gonna show up so nothing really shocked me um i i liked the how it wasn't a lot of jump scares even though uh so so do we just call him michael myers is that what we call him
0: so it's it, it there's Michael Myers and there's the shape. Michael Myers is the character. The shape is the sort of uh figure, I guess. If that I mean I I feel like if if you want to dissect them or or separate them, Michael Myers is the <laughs> the guy who is um driven by um you know, the Michael Myers is what Loomis is hunting down, but the shape is kind of what uh, Jamie Lee Curtis's Lori is seeing and running from the whole time. Does that make sense? Because it's almost he, the shape is this character who is faster than ever possible. You know, someone Mm -hmm. sees him, we cut away, we cut back and he's gone. Um, sometimes in a single shot,
1: the shape, uh, I'm jumping way ahead of where I wanted to be on this review. The shape seemed more like, uh, remember when she was in class and she looks out the window and she sees, yeah. Him. Uh, And the teacher is talking about fate and how fate is searching for these people. And um, clearly, this is the morality tale that all, you know, classic slashers are. Yeah. Uh, you do something wrong. They're going to come and get you. In this case, it's Michael Myers or The Shape. Uh, man, he, he is a good villain. He is really what you want from a villain.
0: Well, and I think, I mean, the thing that I love about this movie, the the reason I revisit it again and again and again is not because it's like huge and big and audacious, but because it's, it is so restrained. It's so small and intimate, but meticulously crafted in the, um, in the details. So it's, you know, it, John Carpenter knows exactly, and I mean, he's also, he's working with a budget of $300,000. So, even even in 1978, not a whole lot of money. And I, I think he puts every penny up on screen. Between between the Panavision, the Panaclide camera moving around the way that he just he knows how to frame a shot. He knows how to I think I think the way that uh, Carpenter uses composition throughout this is one of the like that in combination with his score is what makes this an unsettling experience.
1: Yes, I, I thought overall, if I had to rank the strongest parts of this, number one is number one is the score. Mm-hmm. The score is better than the directing, but the directing is great. It's just, it's one of, it's maybe the best score of all time for achieving its goal, which is making you feel unsettled. And then the direction is just very, very good for horror or great. I would, I would probably call it great. Um, now, right under that is probably just the script and how it builds out um jamie lee curtis's character is it is it is she laurie she's laurie yeah laurie's character and michael myers the backstory just how everything is set up how everything is established i like that then way down at the bottom of the list is acting by anyone other than the two main leads (laughs) oh man the acting is so bad
0: what about uh what is it paul on the phone you never actually see (sighs) paul but no, you don't. Even 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 the acting of the voice acting of Paul is a little. It's a little stilted, and you know we're we're so far removed from the that time. I wonder if I wonder if he was going for something like I in. Maybe I shouldn't jump to just giving him the benefit of the doubt because, you know, we're, we're deep into this, you know, mining John Carpenter, but there is something, you know, about I, well, I will, I actually, I will say this. I think Annie, the other babysitter friend, Mm -hmm. um, she's, she's all right. I like her. I like, I like the way, because she's also sort of the, um, she's the snarky girl. She's the sarcastic Mm -hmm. one and so yeah. i think i think she can get away with a little more versus the other girl i think it's linda um mm-hmm. her and her boyfriend bob are the ones that you know the, uh later they they're just wanting to have sex all around the house um <laughs> they're pretty bad
1: they're they they did they actually just cast porno actors
0: <laughs> no this is not in last house on the left
1: okay i was just wondering because they Are not strong. They're totally my least favorite part of the movie. It's totally. Oh, she hits that word hard. Every time she hits it, every time. Oh man! And at first, I was like, "Oh, I I see what he's going for." She's like maybe a valley girl, but not in the valley because they're in Illinois. Speaking of this town, are they? Where are all the parents? Who? Where are they that they need babysitters?
0: Jake, it's a horror movie. And they're they're probably off. All the parents are probably at the same at the same like
1: Halloween ball.
0: Yeah, I I don't. You know, it's a horror movie. I don't care about the, those logistics. Let's let's. I,
1: I don't either. I just. I, it was just funny thinking about this town where it's like all the parents are going away, all the teenagers are babysitting, and all the former child murderers are murdering. <laughs> uh,
0: but I I do think it is like very. I mean, I think it's very elegant the way that he places is is bobby who's the i can't tommy the little kid um Mm -hmm. the way that he places his house across from the little girl's house so that there's this slight detachment but then the voyeurism and it also plays into like the way that he frames michael myers or the shape in the first half is so good because he's always very small in the frame you know it's it's this beautiful composition and he's so small that You can't make out even even though he's wearing that that mask, you can't quite make out um, who he is. And even if like you get close, the mask, you know, lacks definition. And so that's kind of creepy. But it's just it's unsettling because he's so far removed. And then that in combination with how quickly he moves is terrifying.
1: Here's some other things that I'm shocked by. In my mind, uh, Michael Myers is is taller and bigger and more hulking the only times even like while watching the movie i think he's bigger than he is and then i see him and he's like he's not that big of a dude he's Mm -hmm. you know not that tall he's not that muscular he's kind of skinny and then he's shot from further away and you're like this big giant murderer is coming he's not that's direction that makes him this big looming figure even when he is not
0: since we're talking about michael myers i wanted to bring up Um, do you think he has some sort of sick, twisted, uh, very dark sense of humor to him at all? The, the, and the reason I ask is because, or is he just like, I don't know, like the, the fact that he decides, okay, I need to go like, clearly he gets the jumpsuit from killing the mechanic. I get that. Mm -hmm. Um, but then he goes and robs the hardware store and steals a Halloween mask. Does he think that he's going to be inconspicuous because it's, it is Halloween night, so no one's going to be like, "Why is this creepy guy?" Walking I, I just assumed around? it was
1: because, as a kid, he picked up that mask when he went to do the murdering. He he's he's uh to me, I thought he was like fate incarnate or something mm-hmm. like that. Mm-hmm. He he was from before, and now he inhabits this this Michael Myers person. But uh, but they they said something along those lines of fate outlives death or something like that. In, in,
0: in the is that in the classroom? In the classroom, yeah, they yeah, said yeah.
1: something along those lines, so my impression was maybe he's seeking a mask because whatever is inhabiting him to do all these, whatever his demon is uh wants to have a mask uh he finds one as a kid and and does some uh slicing up, <laughs> and then he he grows up and he also he's got to go get a mask that's just that's just one oh one
0: but i I love you know he stops by the hardware store, takes a couple masks, takes a couple knives, some rope, and he's off to do his killing um but the, no, the way, the way that he moves and the way, I mean, I think we should probably give credit to Nick Castle who is, uh, plays the shape. So if you look in the credits, it's actually, um, there's a credit for 23 year old Michael Myers, which mm-hmm. is, uh, Tony Moran, who I don't know much about him. I don't know what else he's done, but then, uh, Nick Castle, who we discussed some on the last episode, he was the beach ball alien in dark star. He's the shape here and i i think the way that he he moves he has a really nice sort of presence to him you know yes, he I, he gives just enough personality
1: I, I do like that he gets to inhabit the 0 and the 10 on the scale of intimidating villains mm-hmm. just one actor gets to book in both of them
0: <laughs> um. but i i mean i i think there's nothing you can't really you can't underestimate that sort of what he brings to, because he's, I mean, it's really a thinkless role. He's a man completely, you know, behind a mask, under a, under a suit. I mean, he, he could be a Ninja Turtle for all we know.
1: But he is popping up everywhere. Were you, uh, maybe you're not because you've seen it before, but I was like searching the frame for like, where is he? Is he back there? Is he not back there? Is he back there? Mm -hmm. Um, I, I wasn't particularly scared during the movie. Uh, that's, I was kind of playing that game. Like, where is he? Mm -hmm. And then, um, it was time for me to to leave. After and I walk out to my car and I'm carrying <laughs> some some laundry with me to to, to put in the car and it, leaves are blowing along the ground. I'm like, he's behind me, isn't he?
0: Mm-hmm. Well, and and how brilliant is it that a lot of his stalking happens in broad daylight?
1: Yeah, I know it's good. The other thing I like is that there is no supernatural element. He's just a. I I believe that there sort of is, but but on paper he's just a, a human. Who is a murderer? Who has escaped and is coming to kill people? Yeah. He's just there's the house isn't connected to hell. It's not Satan's baby. It's nothing crazy. Yeah, yeah, just yeah. yeah. A, a a murderous guy coming to kill people.
0: Well, and I think I mean I've so I've actually never seen any of the sequels. I like and I I say that I've seen I've probably seen parts on you know cop parts on, uh, you know. TNT around Halloween time or something like that, but I've never actively sat down and watched Halloween two or H two O, which I think is now streaming on Hulu, something like that. So if you want to catch up with that one, um, but uh, I have read interviews with John Carpenter where he's kind of complained about, uh, you know, what they did with, with Halloween and how, you know, he didn't, he, he thought he said everything that he needed to say. And, you know, Carpenter is sort of this um, he's not like, He's the journeyman director who's not a journeyman. If that if that makes sense, that analogy, the, like the
1: journeyman auteur.
0: kind of yeah. I mean, yeah. and and it's it's maybe also part of. I always kind of view him as he is where Peter Bogdanovich and I don't know if I've said this on the the podcast before, but Peter Bogdanovich always longed to be like the masters who came a generation before him. Mm-hmm. I think John Carpenter actually is sort of that because he's. Very, you know, he's not um, particular as far as like, oh, well, I am a I am an artist. He's very much about the work, but he's also very proficient at the work that he does.
1: Yeah, I was going to call him the hardest working man in horror. That's kind of my impression is that he he gets a movie and he works very hard on it and he does a very good job with it. And then he gets another one and does it again.
0: Yeah. And, and that's, I mean, I think that probably comes a bit from him, you know, idolizing Howard Hawks, and
1: hmm. you notice that Howard Hawks in the in the, in this movie, yeah,
0: yeah, yeah, um, with with the the thing, and also uh-huh. with well, and so he's got yeah, he's got the thing, um, comes on first, and then Forbidden Planet is the other the other film, that's, okay. that's playing, um, but. Uh, he's always thought that, you know, like it's kind of silly that they keep doing these Halloween movies. But I think part of that is maybe to, to go back to the shape versus Michael Myers. I think John Carpenter was more, uh, concerned with the shape, meaning he was more concerned with, okay, how can we take this character and not flesh him out too much, not give him too much baggage and just make him this creepy entity. He was, you know, to go back to that workman quality, he was just trying to make a horror film. He knew he was already taking elements that had been used before and would be used again later. Um, Mm -hmm. But how, how could he make the creepiest horror movie he could with these elements versus as it's become a franchise, Michael Myers has become the star. It's that character is what people go to see again. He made and again it too
1: good, Chris. He, <laughs> he made did. it too good if he wanted it to be left alone. Yeah. That character is too good. I understand your point and I agree with it and I agree with his position on it. But you can't make that much money on a murderer that iconic and yeah. not expect Hollywood to make a second one.
0: I know. Well, and I mean he's he's sitting pretty. He's he gets a executive producer credit on all of them, I believe.
1: Which which means a check. Yeah. I mean, yeah. honestly, Means he gets checked.
0: Actually, this this brings up an interesting. We haven't really talked on the podcast about the next iteration of Halloween that's coming up. I mean, there's a lot of news that has been coming up, uh, you know, week after week about this new uh, Halloween that's coming out next next fall. Do you know anything about this?
1: I know Jamie Lee Curtis is going to be in it.
0: So Jamie Lee Curtis is going to be in it. It is directed by David Gordon Green, um, who is a I think a director that we both love even if he like goes some very odd places a lot of times
1: has he ever done a horror
0: i don't think he has
1: but which i don't think is a requirement i mean he
0: he understands tone and he mm-hmm. understands like he understands the elements that make me think that he can do this here's the weird thing though written co-written by david gordon green and danny mcbride
1: oh uh, that guy has the same name as the the comedic actor
0: he is the same guy I mean he's and if you're familiar with with David Gordon Green's work I mean he's literally been in everything from the beginning since George Washington. Um, really? Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. Um hmm. but and and he's also like a pretty um I he, obviously his comedy is what he's become known for but he's a pretty heady dude like um, I don't know. I don't know if that translates into a good script for Halloween or not, but Carpenter has said that, uh, he actually gives it his blessing and I believe he's actually doing the score for it.
1: Interesting. Yeah. Man, this score was good. I, I knew the, the, ding, 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 like I knew yeah, that one, Yeah, but I didn't realize how many of those other, uh, little pieces of music were different. It's not uh, yeah. just one. It's not like the jaws theme the whole time
0: well and there's um, there's the little stings there's the yes. and and I think the thing that's so effective about this score is it's very minimal i mean mm-hmm. like the so the, the the part that you were just sort of saying the ding 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 it's that piano piece which is just repetitive and um, sort of starts you know getting your skin crawling and then it's that synthy thing on top and and then mm-hmm. and then that repetitive uh, like drum loop Mm -hmm. and so it's it's just a couple of elements but they come together so well and it's like the piano gets under your skin and the synth sets the mood is just like this is creepy and the the drum track is just like unrelenting Mm -hmm. and yeah he he finds those combinations throughout to just make it really really unsettling
1: yeah even the other pieces of music all carry some element from the main theme in with Mm -hmm. them and, and it just makes it really unsettling in a really good way.
0: Well, and they all kind of come together at the end in what he calls the 11 o'clock shuffle, which I guess is a term mm. for like, uh, I don't know if he, he mentioned in the commentary, I think musicians or session, session musicians, something like that, where they kind of bring all of the elements together that they've been using as one final closing piece. Um, and, and so they all kind of culminate together, but yeah, I, you mentioned that there aren't really jump scares and I agree there generally aren't, but there is that element of, he uses the stings (laughs) super well in a way. And I guess it's a, it's, it's a manner of, it's a way that's not manipulative. It's a way that's not just like, Oh, well, we scared you to scare you. You're like already because you know, Michael Myers is around you know, most yes. of the time you're you're already aware. So you just have that heightened sense. And then it's just like a when is he going to appear? And then now, when he I, does.
1: I, now dee-dee-dee. I feel like we don't need to run spoilers since I'm the last person to have ever not seen this movie. Uh, uh, uh So so am I allowed to talk about a, a certain room that Jamie Lee Curtis walks into or not? Yeah, sure. Uh, that's about the only jump scare I I would really consider a jump scare. Uh, but I like when (laughs) I like that Michael Myers is like, I killed these people. Now let me arrange a haunted house for whoever (laughs) comes in here. This guy's getting hung upside down and I'm rigging it. So he'll swing out and scare people. Like, I really liked that. I liked his dedication to the theme.
0: I mean, I don't, I don't know if you can call it a jump scare when it's, Happening. I mean, if you're saying you hadn't, there wasn't, you wouldn't qualify anything else as one. And, and, and I mean, my other thing is I've seen it so many times. I don't really like, I still get tense in places, but I don't have that same sort of, um, like not knowing when anything's coming at all, I guess.
1: Yeah. To use the, the Walter merch thing, your rubber band has been stretched, you know, yeah, exactly. Yeah. You, you know what the limits are on this movie, of what he'll do to scare you. Yeah. Even if you don't remember shot for shot, you know, about like this, he, he could pop up here. Let, he'll be way in the background. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I was watching it thinking like, is his face going to be just full frame as he jumps in at some point? He, he's there.
0: He always stays at a bit of a distance though.
1: Yeah. yeah, Even, I mean, I think,
0: I think about the closest you get him is in that, um, uh, when Jamie Lee Curtis is in the closet, which is maybe my favorite scene. Um, just every piece of it is so well, like just turning the screws very slowly. And the way that that's another, that's another example of the way that he moves is just sort of perfect at being, Big and creepy and unpredictable. It's one of those scenes that I think of every once in a while and get a chill up my back.
1: I, I like how much damage Michael Myers can take and mm-hmm. keep going. It, it's so good. That's you, and that's
0: the one element of like he's got to have some supernatural nature to him a bit.
1: What I, I I just think of it as you know you're fated to die or you're not fated to die as far as the Michael Myers thing goes. And and he's gonna you can't outrun him. You can't beat him if uh, and and jamie lee curtis did but or uh, Lori did but she's not she hadn't done anything wrong to deserve it
0: oh that's okay so that's interesting that you bring this up let's get into that a little bit so there has been you know for the past almost 40 years mm-hmm. this discussion of uh the morality of the slasher picture and the way that um a lot of times they're they're seen as sort of very conservative uh, because most of the time it is the good girl is the only one that gets away and the promiscuous girl who's off having sex, those are the ones that get what they deserve.
1: Yes. I and I just want to make clear I wasn't saying she deserved it or didn't deserve it, but in the in the the mythos of the slasher film. Right. It's always the the you know, the the innocent virgin who gets away. Yeah. Uh, yeah and anyone who's promiscuous at all. Finds a, finds a knife or whatever uh, weapon it is that that particular person uses.
0: Right. No, it's, it's definitely become a part of the genre. Uh, the reason I, I wanted to bring it up is because Carpenter actually kind of hates that read. Like, and it, that really? goes back to, yeah, that goes back to his like, no, don't, don't overanalyze me. Don't, um, he, you know, in his mind, it's not that they're getting their comeuppance because they're having sex. It's that, well, because they're uh, they're more obsessed with, uh, you know, they've got sex in the mind and so they're preoccupied so that they are not aware of their surroundings and they're not Um, aware of, they're
1: seeking out quiet private places to do what they do. And, uh, and so they are more susceptible. They're not focused on what's going on. So they're more susceptible. Their,
0: their mind is on like, Oh, I really, it's Halloween night and we can, I really want to get some, we can. And, and so that's their main driving focus. Whereas, Lori is sort of, she's aware of her surroundings and that's why she's the one who is sensing the shape at every turn. Mm -hmm. Um, and I, I think that's a, like, I mean, it certainly you can counterpoint that. Um, but I, I think that's a genuine, um, that, that seems like a genuine response from, from Carpenter that I, you know, I accept As I I can accept
1: that too, but I want to hear from the writer as well. Well,
0: it it was, it was written by him and then co-written by Deborah Hill, um, who also produced it. Um, and I, I believe her feelings are somewhere along, uh, those same lines, you know, of it's like, you know, reading, reading too much, you know, it's, it's sort of like, um, you know, it's, it's sort of like the anti-auteur theory sort of thing where it's like, uh, you know, you're 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 overinflating reading into everything. See,
1: I always think of the slasher film as being like a modern fairy tale because in fairy tales, people die, Pe- people get killed, and it's mm-hmm. the people who do things quote wrong, you know, because it's trying to teach kids morality. You
0: well, you- and, and I think in I think in a lot of slasher pictures that that totally qualifies. Um, just like I, I think it's interesting that he specifically says with his like with Halloween that's not what I was going for. Um, I, I think the argument can definitely be made for others, for sure. Mm-hmm. I wonder if, you know, that sort of creating that template right. then led to, you know, this, this other read and then they say, oh, well, we've got to have the the super squeaky clean virgin who does her homework to get mm-hmm. away. And, and so it's like a running off in another direction with the same idea.
1: Something I want to ask earlier and didn't get around to what, what did you think of a uh, young Jamie Lee Curtis?
0: Uh, I think she's, I think she's solid here. You know, it's her very first role.
1: Is it, it's her very like the, the first thing she did on screen ever.
0: First thing she ever did on screen. She wow. wasn't his first choice, I believe. Hmm. Um, and it was also, um, you know, there, there was a bit of, Uh, I think reluctance with putting her in it from a standpoint of like, oh, well, it's uh, Janet Lee's daughter. She was in Psycho. Don't want it to feel like it's just leeching goodwill off of that. Uh, But no, I I think she gives a fairly natural performance in this.
1: Yeah, I thought it was good. Another thing I thought was interesting is, especially after Dark Star, uh, one of them went on to make uh, a a slasher film in a neighborhood and another one went on to make a slasher film in a space shuttle. Or in a spaceship. <laughs> yeah. in, in my mind, they're very similar films.
0: Around the same time, too.
1: Female leads. Yeah. Survive till the end. Uh, unstoppable force of nature coming to get you. Yeah. Um,
0: very similar films. That's a good point. That's interesting. Um, what about, you bring up Jamie Lee Curtis, what about Donald Pleasance?
1: Oh, I thought he was great. I, I like that thing he does, especially in, in this and Prince of Darkness, where he's just like the guy who knows stuff he got to tell you about it because it's going to come and get you.
0: I love how I love how salty he is. Like, <laughs> like he's, he's definitely not the type of guy that you would you would want to be hanging with like at the bar. He's definitely not the type of guy that you want to accidentally piss off. Um, like, well, I love
1: but maybe he's not killing people. He stared at a wall for 18 years. He's killing people right now. <laughs>
0: He's, okay. so, he's so salty. I love when he when he's yelling at the kids who are going up to the house. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but but he you know he gets a little a little bit campy, but I think it works. I think ultimately oh, ultimately like he he makes it work so well. Um, which actually let, let's transition to a little since we do have this new next year uh, iteration of Halloween coming out. Uh, from David Gordon Green and Danny McBride. Um, what do you say we do a little bit of dream casting? This is a game that we play every once in a while, and it seems fitting here. Okay. Um, first up, who would you dream cast for Loomis?
1: Wait, are, are we just, are we assuming like a straight remake or just like, uh, like literally playing Loomis, or this is a spiritual, like who is playing the Loomis type character?
0: Yeah, I think it's probably that. And keep in mind that David Gordon Green and Danny McBride are making this movie.
1: Hmm. So Will Ferrell, obviously, right? No, I mean, it could
0: could be, it could (laughs) be. Um, it's interesting that you go with a comedian though, because my, my pick, my, I don't know why, but this time watching, I kept thinking, that john hodgman would be the perfect person for this role
1: yes but he he does go a little too camp if he can turn it down even a notch though that's that's that would be really good
0: you think hodgman goes too camp
1: yeah but i'm also thinking of his his um do you remember in community where he's their therapist yes yeah, he he's a, he's a, he's way up there.
0: See, I I'm, I'm thinking in the nick where he is the crazy creepy doctor who removes a wom- all of the teeth in a woman's head.
1: All right, yeah, you win. He he might just nail this role. You got this one.
0: He has he has the perfect sort of demeanor for it. Um, like he's, and, and it's the type of casting that you like initially, like I, I imagine a lot of people would be like, Oh really John Hodgman? I don't know. And then I I think he'd knock it out of the park.
1: All right. All right. I, I can see that.
0: Um, then we've got, I mean, basically we've, we've got, honestly, Loomis is, is maybe the the biggest one for me. Then we've basically got, we got a cast three girls or three, three characters and a, a shape. Uh, you got any ideas for any of those?
1: Oh, that's tough. Uh, for for the the girl, what about uh for Jamie Lee for Lori, uh, mm-hmm. What about Zoe Dutch?
0: Ooh, right. Ooh, I like right? that. I like that a yeah. lot.
1: And it's not just because I'm trying to get everybody to watch. Everybody wants some, uh, but you should watch. Everybody wants some. Have you watched Everybody Wants Some? Go watch Everybody Wants Some.
0: I think that's a <laughs> that's a really inspired choice because she's she's so natural on screen. She just mm-hmm. has this. I think I think she could she can pull that up really well. And then I I also think she would fit in the David Gordon green Mm -hmm. universe very naturally. Um, that's really good. I don't, I don't know if I can top that. I mean, I, as, as I've been trying to, to think of this, I've just been trying to think of those little, uh, those actors who have been in small, because I, I do think someone who's not a huge name um would be helpful to this because mm-hmm. it's it allows you to kind of just accept them as the character.
1: Yes, but it, it could just like with Jamie Lee Curtis Curtis, it could be a star-making role. No, exactly. You you totally start to associate with your your main character and 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 that that really can launch a career. I think it's the same thing's going to happen with Get Out and uh Daniel Kaluuya. I think yeah. you're going to see him in in more things because now he's someone who is on our side. We're mm-hmm horror movies have that, that way when they're when it's a real big horror movie. They're they're with you now. They they're an associable you associate with them.
0: Yeah, no, I I agree. And that's sort of and so that's what I, I was trying to zero in on. Okay, who are some people that I've I've seen and I really like and I think need a a bigger spotlight. Um, the, the, the next one that came up, came to mind, I think is probably, honestly, she's probably too well known at this point, but you know how much I love putting, uh, Greta Gerwig in roles. I think she would be great here as Linda, the, the one who ends up, uh, with, with his boy, with her boyfriend, Bob, um, in, you know, up, upstairs, um, I think, I think she would bring something funny and quirky to it.
1: Look, you know, I'll watch Greta Gerwig act the phone book. Yeah. And it's probably the type of project she would take.
0: No, I, I mean, it's, it's, it, there's, there's a precedent for it. I mean, she, uh, she was in, um, house of the devil. Uh, uh no, I mean, I, I mean she
1: might act the phone book. <laughs> oh.
0: She might no, actually take she that. She would. <laughs> she would do one. She she would do a one man show with a phone book. Yeah. Um, and then and the other one that I, I thought of was: Did you watch Togetherness, the Duplass Brothers show? No, I did not. It was really good. And there was uh there was this actress who was in. She was only in like two or three episodes. Her name is uh, Emily Altheus I believe she played Natalie. She was this kind of character that Mark Duplass's character. Um, ran into at a vulnerable time and she just, she had this great presence on screen. Um, and I haven't seen her in anything else, but, uh, I, I, I like constantly, like I, I think about why is she not a bigger star probably once a month. Um, I think she'd be great in this as Annie, as the, the sort of sarcastic, uh, girl who's babysitting across the street.
1: Okay. Yeah, I, I could see that. Uh, it, it's just hard. It's hard to cast that. These are hard. These are hard yeah. roles.
0: And I mean, I w- I would be totally fine with unknowns as well. That's, that's the thing that's like, uh, sort of, you know, but I, I do for, for the shape. I will not budge. I need it to be Casey Affleck. <laughs>
1: <laughs> All right. I can't, I can't argue with that one either. You put some thought into it. I want to hear your explanation, but I agree already.
0: <laughs> I mean, have you seen a ghost story? I have not. Do you know about a ghost story? No. Okay, Ghost Story came out earlier this year. Um incredibly great uh little intimate movie. It's uh Casey Affleck and uh, Rooney Mara and it's this um it's this really touching story about uh a haunting, I guess is is the only way to like explain it without giving anything away. But I I will say about 80% of the movie uh involves Casey Affleck underneath a white sheet. And it's Actually him acting underneath the white sheet. <laughs> and it's fantastic.
1: I'm in. I'm in. And he has to be the shape. He has experience.
0: He he. I mean, it would be. It would. I. I think he could pull it off. It, I'm not joking.
1: It would be a waste of a budget, but I'm on. I'm on board. He he would take like four times the budget of the first Halloween alone.
0: <laughs> well, no. I mean, he he's clearly willing to do these small little uh, indie art house things. Maybe maybe he'll uh, maybe he'll cut his rate.
1: Maybe may, if if it's a it, maybe it's a Blumhouse movie this time.
0: It is a Blumhouse movie this time. Is it really? Blumhouse is producing this, yeah, and they're and they are shooting right now in Charleston, South Carolina. So Casey Affleck could be underneath a jumpsuit right now.
1: <laughs> and and even if he's not in this movie, Casey Affleck could be underneath a jumpsuit right now.
0: Okay, what do you say we get into our next segment and we score? the score all right so uh score the scores where we hold john carpenter's musical compositions for his films up against each other and we score them how do we score them jake
1: we score the score out of a score
0: that is correct
1: and as you all know a score is 20
0: so jake last time when we scored dark star there was a bit of discussion about um among its peers and on a grading on a curve all of these things first time we hear john carpenter um Doing any sort of composition for film. Now we're talking about the, uh, really the score that made him who he is. I mean, as much as it was directing Halloween, it was scoring Halloween. Like those two, I I think that's where like he came together as a director composer.
1: Come on, Chris. You're saying a bunch of words and you're not just saying 20, which is what you need to say. Those are a bunch of words that weren't, it's a 20. It's one of the best scores ever.
0: Okay, so you're coming down to a twenty. I mean, what what I was going to get to is this is a it's a fairly minimal, sparse little score. But it's exactly it's very what's effective. needed. How effective it's is it? Everything that's needed. It's twenty, out of, needed. 20. It's 20 yeah, you, out of twenty effective.
1: It, it's one thing you will that will probably never be topped. Yeah. There will never be a, as iconic of a horror score ever.
0: Well, and it's I I mean, I think honestly, it's probably even more identifiable than Jaws from a like single note sort of
1: let's put it let's put it this way so i watched this movie and my girlfriend laid on the couch didn't look at the screen because she was too scared Mm -hmm. after 30 minutes she said i'm going home this is too scary i said you're not watching the movie she said but it sounds scary
0: it does it sounds so scary and something else we didn't discuss that that i absolutely love like it's one of the things that still creeps me out every time i watch is whenever you hear the breathing of michael myers come in Mm-hmm. And it just sort of like it slowly over the course of like a few seconds raises up and you mm-hmm. can't see him, but you can hear him behind the mask. So effective. I wish I had you all alone. Just the two of us. I heard you lost. It's so effective.
1: and and even uh, the, the little ending montage of all the locations we've seen and you just hear him mm-hmm. breathing mm-hmm. mm-hmm. is good. Mm-hmm. It's really good. Yeah. So it's a 20. It, it's hard. All the sound in this movie is a 20. The sounds almost stronger than the image and the image is good.
0: Okay. So you are, you are gung ho for this movie as far as, uh, the score. So let me ask you, let's get into clash and the carpenter where each time we put up, uh, a character from a John carpenter film up against a character from the film we're reviewing. And it's sort of a last man standing sort of tournament. So, uh, we began with the thing. So RJ McCready naturally was our man. So then when we discussed Prince of Darkness, he went up against uh, Victor Wong's professor, Howard Barak, and, of course, defeated him. And then he went up against the creepy innkeeper, a.k.a. Mrs. Pickman, a.k.a. Happy Gilmore's grandmother in In the Mouth of Madness. (laughs) And there was a bit of debate, but R.J. McCready was victorious and beat her. And then on the last episode, he went up against bomb number 20 in Dark Star. And there was actually a little bit of debate there. But ultimately, we decided, of course, McCready could defeat Bomb Number Twenty. So here's the real question, Jake: RJ McCready versus the Shape?
1: Oh, I thought you I thought you were gonna put him up against the boyfriend on the phone that we never see, Paul. <laughs> yeah, I thought I thought he was gonna go against. Paul. He's going against the Shape. He's going Ooh, against the Shape. This could be this could be tough. This is tough for McCready. I, I'm personally still team. Team McCready.
0: Okay, how justify this?
1: Okay, he, he defeated a body. Sna- well, arguably defeated. Defeated a lot of body snatching aliens in Antarctica mm-hmm. using flamethrowers, uh, power stripped power wire. He he did a lot of stuff to defeat these aliens. He showed resourcefulness and all sorts of things. And he probably has a good shot. He 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 didn't he didn't have any sex with anybody.
0: That's true. That's true,
1: so so he's not he's not distracted. He's focused fully on. He's fully focused on defeating this thing.
0: while I agree with you i I think the shape is a relentless figure who is not going to stop if If his goal is to defeat r j. McCready, I think he's probably going to defeat r. j. McCready
1: r j. McCready would go down with the ship to defeat him, as we have seen. He, As we've seen. I, I feel like it's going to be very, very hard to defeat R.J. McCready. And let's just say that we're assuming the rules are like a fight to the death. If it's a, if it's just a, a, a one liner off, who has the best one? It's McCready. <laughs>
0: it's always, Although, although I will, I will argue that the shape. Once again, this kind of ties into does he have a weird, sick sense of humor? I love when he comes in with Bob's glasses over the, uh, over the sheet. <laughs> that's that's one of my favorite just frames in all of cinema history it's like yeah that's how how that hasn't become a meme i don't know there's so many ways to (laughs) caption that um it's so good um i i i see your point i just i think i mean once again we're saying a fight to the death the shape doesn't die
1: well, we we don't know he, he could have crawled off and died. We don't know. We don't know the fate of McCready either.
0: We don't know the fate of McCready either. I Jake, I'm yeah. I'm afraid we might be at a standstill on this one.
1: Is this one where we really just flip a coin so it can keep going, I, or does this become a three man rumble with the next one?
0: It it either becomes a three man rumble with the next one. We can we can figure this out off Mike, but I think our options are: this becomes a three man rumble with the next one, or we say hey cult of carpenter hey listeners oh i like that why don't you hit up our assistant henry swanson at pork chop express at carpentercast.com and tell us who you think would win between rj mccready and the shape and uh we'll we'll see what we'll see what kind of response we get and um if nothing else it becomes a three-man rumble we'll see what happens
1: look uh and if you're looking for a tiebreaker i would go based on headwear (laughs) Do, do you think uh, an old inside out Shatner mask is better than the coolest hat ever worn by a man in history? That
0: sombrero, is that what you're Yeah, while flying to? the helicopter. Yeah. Oh yeah, uh, yeah. You love that yeah. sombrero.
1: I really do. I re- it's going to be really hard not to do that for Halloween this year.
0: All right, we'll see what happens. I might I might just go as uh as the shape is Bob for Halloween. Super easy. <laughs> All right. Well, this actually brings us to perhaps the easiest, the easiest segment here, the cult of Carpenter. And as you know, with each uh, episode, we rate the picture overall. Um, and generally we decide, is the film a Carpenter classic? Is it a deep dive in which it's a, you know, it's a good film, but it's not essential? Or is it just for Johnny's mommy? Although, because we are discussing Halloween, I have altered the options. Jake, would you like to read the options?
1: Uh, It is either a Carpenter Classic, a Carpenter Classic, or a Carpenter Classic. Well. I feel like that's a lot of options.
0: It's a lot of options. I'm going to pick the middle one and go with a Carpenter Classic.
1: I'm I'm going with a third Carpenter Classic, but I, I, I will ask this. This is a better question for you. Is this his best film?
0: His best and my favorite. I don't know if those are the same thing. Um, I'm going to say, no, I'm going to say this is a very good film and it is Mm -hmm. his best film to date as of 1978. Um, Mm -hmm. I think, you know, I, I, I think he has, he honed his skills beyond this though. And I do too. It was, it was definitely a jumping off point for him more than anything. Like it is a, it is a monumental achievement, particularly for, you know, he, this movie was made with like not even a third of a million dollars. Um, yeah that's you can't understate that and
1: or uh, as we would call it ten dark stars
0: ten dark stars that's correct <laughs> he and it and it looks like ten dark stars it 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 oh, really yeah. does it feels like ten dark stars it also feels like the experience of ten dark stars up on screen mm-hmm. um so it's i mean let me let me ask you this actually since you bring up dark star How, what do you feel about the trajectory I know we haven't discussed. Um, assault on precinct 13 yet so there's a bit of a gap there you still haven't seen that one correct i have not okay but how do you feel about the trajectory from dark star to this
1: i feel like if you have been following his career up to this point you just got to think that he could take on the world yeah He, he had to be the most promising new director at the time which is really hard to say because i mean wasn't that about the same time Scorsese was probably still considered a new director? I mean, this is this is seventy
0: eight, so this is you know after yeah. after Taxi Driver, after Jaws, just after um, just after Star Wars. But that's the other thing that's interesting is Carpenter doesn't really come up in the conversation with those other guys,
1: which I, I think honestly is a shame.
0: Uh, I mean, I do too. I, that is exactly why we're talking right now, why we have decided to dedicate a whole show to John Carpenter, because I think he's he really is overlooked in a lot of ways and he has so much good stuff
1: yeah the the whole genre of of horror films in general is overlooked and underappreciated and even by me uh but but the master of horror is one who we should at least make some time to sit down and say you know these great films were made by a great auteur who who did a lot of great work
0: well and, and this is obviously where he kind of cut his chops got that name deserves that name and yeah, Halloween, if somehow you are like Jake and haven't seen this yet, um, you have to see it. And I mean, there's no reason not to see it on the big screen at this point.
1: Well, Chris, if they're going to sneak a beer into the big screen when they do finally see it for the first time, what do you suggest?
0: Well, Jake, I'm glad you asked.
1: Are, are you sneaking beers into the
0: podcast now? I'm sneaking beers into the podcast, man.
1: Keep breaking the rules. You know what's going to happen. Gonna have a slasher coming after you.
0: I'm gonna. I'm gonna get murdered. Yeah. Uh, I. You know. I was frightened twice while I was watching Halloween the other night. Once. Once my mother snuck up on me. <laughs> who's. Uh, who's down visiting us? Uh, mm-hmm. Once my wife snuck up on me.
1: Uh, I, I would have jumped out of my seat.
0: It, it, it was pretty terrifying. I had headphones on. The The room was dark. Got just a light touch on the shoulder. Terrifying. <laughs> Absolutely terrifying. Um. So Jake, we're in October, which means. Uh, I. Even though I've neglected it in the past on the show, I am going to be recommending Oktoberfest beers for the next this episode and the next one um, during the month of October. So I figure the best way to kick this off is with Oktoberfest by St. Arnold Brewing Company in, you guessed it, Houston, Texas.
1: Oh come on, Chris! You just going gone whole hog into this Texas thing. Been there like fifteen minutes. It's nothing but Texas beers. I would, I would give you so much more crap if St. Arnold didn't make one of my favorite root beers.
0: Oh yeah. I've actually recommended that root Mm -hmm. beer on the show before. Yeah, it's really good. And actually I've recommended a number of St. Arnold beers before. Um, they're a brewery that I really love. I'm, you know, and they don't ship out of the, out of the state. So, um, I'm very happy to have them available again. And this Oktoberfest, it is quite tasty. Um, it's, I mean, as far as, um, it, the gamut it it tastes like a oktoberfest which means that it's very multi it's a little bit sweet um when i was i was searching for sort of ways to describe it i was saying you know it's 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 multi-sweet and full-bodied and lo and behold i look on the can and it says oktoberfest brewed for fall full-bodied and multi so i guess uh saint arnold's and i are on the same page
1: Your, your taste buds are working chris
0: They're, they're working, but it is a, it is a delicious, delicious Oktoberfest. Uh, definitely the type of beer that you should be drinking as the leaves are falling, even if the leaves are falling in like Southern California and they're faking it all or in, uh, Houston, Texas, where it's still in the like eighties and nineties. Um, it'll make it, it'll, it'll taste like fall though. And that's, that's the really important part. Um, so I recommend if, uh, you know, don't get caught and don't get in trouble, but uh, next time you're uh, you're watching uh, old Halloween, you should enjoy it with an Oktoberfest from St. Arnold Brewing.
1: Halloween is a bit difficult to find digitally, but you can still rent or purchase it on Amazon or iTunes. Or, if you're still a fan of physical media, you can pick up the 35th Anniversary Edition Blu-ray.
0: If you've seen John Carpenter's Halloween... Hit up our assistant, Henry Swanson, at Porkchop Express at CarpenterCast.com, and he'll relay the message to us. Or if you want to just vote on uh, who would win between RJ McCready and The Shape, you can do that as well. Or if email isn't your thing, you can actually call us, leave us a little voicemail. Just ring that bright red telephone at 484 424 6362. That's 484 4Cinema.
1: Hang in there, kid. We'll be right back with some really rad recommendations you won't want to miss.
0: All right, Jake, it is time for Really Red Recommendations once again, and we are in October, and we are dedicating all of October to The Carpenter Shop. So I hope you're bringing something kind of creepy to recommend this time.
1: Yes, I am recommending something creepy, Chris. Um, I wanted to go with – I don't see a ton of horror movies, uh, especially new ones, uh, just because I think haunted house movies are kind of dumb. And 95% of new horror movies are haunted house movies. But I did catch David Robert Mitchell's It Follows. Mm-hmm. Um from back in twenty fourteen. And I was really, really happy with it. And seeing Halloween made me realize how it follows
0: it's just Halloween without a murderer. Yeah, kinda. Yeah. Kind yeah. kinda. I, I, I can see that line.
1: It it definitely um it what I liked about it and what made me really want to recommend it is we talked about how um Jamie Lee Curtis's character, quote, didn't do anything wrong and that's why she survives. Sure. Well, and it follows um by definition if it, if it is coming for you, uh, you had, you had sex. It's it's, it, that's how it's transmitted in the film. And, uh, and so it, it kind of takes that other perspective of you're doomed to die. You're going to die. Death is coming for you. So how do you avoid it? And, uh, I, I was really happy with it. Um, and I liked its, um, conceit that you couldn't see it, but it was still coming for you or, or you were the only one that could see it if it was coming for you. Mm -hmm. Um,
0: well, it's definitely I think it's definitely actually playing on that known trope of yes, going after it, which is which is smart, which is good. Like, I mean, there's there's a lot of things about this movie I like. I mean, I think that that opening shot definitely owes something to the opening uh steady camera paneglide shot that we get with Halloween. I don't know how we didn't discuss that. Man, um, that was a
1: great opening,
0: Uh but it definitely was something to it. And then the disaster piece. Uh, soundtrack also while not not exactly john carpentry but it's still like i it, it definitely feels like of the lineage mm-hmm. of halloween
1: uh, the the one thing i will uh, couch this recommendation with is uh the ending
0: eh. doesn't doesn't all come together in the pool
1: now the first two acts are really strong in this movie to be let down by a really weak third act
0: yeah, uh, it's it's like they didn't know what to do with their hands at the end and just said, oh, well, period, roll credits.
1: I, I still thought the ideas contained in the movie were interesting enough that it is worth a watch. Sure. I, I thought the execution of the early part was really good and really unsettling and really creepy. Uh, not like by any means the best horror movie I've ever seen, but, uh, to, to be in the same family with Halloween, I, I wanted to recommend that it is available to rent on Vudu, YouTube, Amazon, all the usual places. Uh, so check out it follows.
0: Nice. You know, actually, I, now that you bring up, it follows, uh, Micah Monroe could be a really nice uh, option for Halloween. Although then maybe we're typecasting her.
1: Yeah. I told you, you you start to start to feel for these people after they're in a horror movie. You want to you want them to make it out.
0: She was good, and she felt very natural.
1: So, what about you, Chris? What do you have?
0: So, I've got something that uh, I, I, you know, we we talked about Halloween's coming to the big screen, and the the big screen experience is probably how you should see it if you have the opportunity to see it. And I am recommending probably the last film that absolutely, utterly terrified me uh, in a theater, and that's. 2007 so this is 10 years ago now funny games from michael haneke
1: Ooh, I, I i saw that in theaters i was one of about four people in the in the in the theater
0: it was yeah it was us and uh-huh. it was you know the two of us and what two other friends maybe yeah and then some guy like just one dude five rows back who would just like periodically talk to the screen
1: yeah and it didn't make it less scary
0: It didn't make it less scary, that is for sure, Mm -mm. because you would forget he was there. Mm -hmm. And then he would say things like, oh, no.
1: (laughs) Really, I want to sell a box that just has those reactions from like behind your couch while you're watching at home, because that's what makes horror movies good. It should pick up, you're watching Halloween, and at 34 minutes and 15 seconds, somebody needs to go, don't do that.
0: You can, you can change sort of, sort of channels of the type of audience that you want. That'd be great. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, but, but funny games, it's, I, I selected it because, um, I, I think it has a lot in common with Halloween in that, I mean, they're both very different stories. This is, this is a remake of Haneke's, uh, 1997 film of the same name, basically shot for shot, the same, the same movie, even like, the music cues are exactly the same. It's uh, the only real difference is that this one uh, is in English. It stars Naomi Watts, Tim Roth and Michael Pitt and Bradley Corbett. Um, and Naomi Watts and Tim Roth, they're, they're this married couple with a son. Uh, they're off visiting their nice little cottage home, their summer home, and they get a, a knock at the door by these two, uh, you know, well-dressed strangers who are just looking for some eggs. And things just slowly, progressively get scarier and creepier and creepier. And it's all about ratcheting up the tension without being too explicit. Like so much is about reading between the lines and not necessarily what's said, but what's implied. So that's, you know, I, I was talking in my intro about how Halloween, a lot of it's about what's going on in your head. There's so much with funny games. Uh, so much of the horror comes from that here as well. Um, and it's just I I don't even know how to describe it and I don't want to describe too much, but it's, it is maybe one of the ultimate like uncomfortable movies where you just want to look away and you don't want to be involved in this scenario anymore. But every moment where you think like, maybe you'll get a little bit of room to breathe, it gets, it then gets exponentially worse. Um, and I'm actually, I'm getting tense right now talking about it, thinking about it. Um, It, and, and, and the reason that I say it's the most terrifying experience I've had in a theater, um, or the last most terrifying experience I had in theater is the final frame of this movie combined with the score is like the only time that I've ever been so unnerved that I wanted to run out of a theater as fast as I could.
1: In my memory, I ran out because I couldn't stand to look at it any longer.
0: It, 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 and it's, it's the combination of looking at it and listening to it. Um, very effective.
1: I remember kind of maniacally laughing at just how absurdly scary it was.
0: Well, it's, it's almost like it, it has that feeling of like, it goes on so long that you're like, oh, it's kind of humorous and then it keeps going and you're like, oh my gosh, Oh my gosh, I'm going to have a panic attack. I'm going to, I'm going, going to freak out. This needs to stop. It's, it's really unsettling. Um, so with that recommendation, I recommend you check out funny games. The, I mean, really you could, you could watch either one. I personally think that the remake is better. I think the performances are a bit better, but both are available streaming. Um, the, the remake is available on Netflix and the 1997 original version is available on filmstruck right now.
1: Yeah, and I'll say uh, Funny Games, way more po- polarizing than It Follows. Well, It Follows is like a solid seven or something like that, um, or six and a half, whatever you want to give it. It falls somewhere in that range. Funny Games, you got people who are going to give it a 10 and people who are going to give it a one and they didn't
0: enjoy it. I, I've shown this movie to so many people, and I've had just that exact reaction, like the, oh my gosh, that that was incredible, and the, like, I hate you, we're not friends anymore, why did yeah. you put me through this yeah it's, it's that, the lobster it's, it's that kind of movie a little bit
1: it's the lobster <laughs> <laughs> all right and that's a wrap for another episode of the carpenter shop you can find show notes archives and a complete list of where to watch each film in the series at carpentercast.com and check out our mothership podcast at warsarts you can say hello to us on twitter facebook and instagram at wsampod
0: if you enjoy the show tell your friends your casual acquaintances, tell that cute person at the gym who's always listening to podcasts or rate and subscribe to The Carpenter Shop on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to fine audio programming. It'll help us grow the cult of carpenter and it'll make you feel awesome.
1: On the other hand, if you're the trolling type who simply hate listening through these credits, go ahead and send our assistant, Henry Swanson, a great big heaping pile of anonymous Internet vitriol at Porkchop Express at CarpenterCast.com. Or, if you're a narcissist who simply loves the sound of his own voice, leave us a voicemail and we might just play it on a future episode. Ring that bright red telephone at 484-424-6362.
0: The Carpenter Shop theme song was produced by Philip K. Dickey and Dragon in 3. Find them at dragonin3.com. And shout out to Generationals for the featured music on this week's show. Find more at generationals.com.
1: Keep an eye out for our episode on David Gordon Green's Halloween a brand new direct sequel to john carpenter's halloween that's totally unrelated to rob zombies halloween
0: <laughs> we've also got a review of john carpenter's ghosts of mars coming out soon you can catch john carpenter's space western starring natasha hinstridge ice cube and jason Satham streaming right now on stars i suggest you do and then join us for our discussion thanks for listening folks sleep tight kids
1: Streaming stuff ready. Give me a second. Okay.
0: It'll only be a second. Okay. I think you just gotta buy it. I don't think you can instantly stream. Are we it. making an ASMR podcast? Click your mouse onto the it follows IMDb
1: page. <laughs> <laughs> Please no.